My name is Ari Redboard. I am head of legal and government affairs at TRM Labs, the leading provider of cryptocurrency fraud detection and anti-money laundering software. Welcome to TRM Talks. TRM Talks is a monthly discussion with policymakers and business leaders in the cryptocurrency space. The concerns and questions swirling around unhosted wallets and FinCEN's recent notice of proposed rulemaking have captivated and consumed the cryptocurrency industry and regulators around the world. Unhosted wallets provoke questions of privacy and security at the very heart of the promise of cryptocurrency. TRM talks today with former DOJ money laundering chief and current Cello compliance head, Jay Ramaswamy, author of How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Unhosted Wallets, and FinCEN Deputy Director Michael Mosier on unhosted wallets and the challenges of threading the needle between privacy and financial integrity in crypto regulation. Welcome to you both. I, I would love by, uh, by giving our viewers uh, an opportunity to sort of hear about your journeys to crypto. I feel like you have both had very unique public and private experiences, and frankly, I think have been inspired uh, by each other. Uh, so I'd love to, maybe Jay, if you can sort of walk us through your journey to crypto. Sure. Um, I mean, my, my journey to crypto is, is relatively recent in the sense that I, I joined the current project that I'm on um, uh, in November of, of 2019 um, and, and have been working on it ever since. Um, before that, I was the head of enterprise risk management at Capital One, a sort of traditional financial services company. And before that, the global head of, of compliance risk management, uh, AML compliance risk management at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Um, and, and, you know, I, my journey to the private sector itself was preceded by about 10 years in the Justice Department. Um, started off as a baby prosecutor in, in the Southern District of New York, U.S. Attorney's Office. I think we fondly call it the Sovereign District. I think others in Maine Justice call it the Sovereign District with a little irony. Um, uh, but uh, uh, from there, uh, you know, I focused on on white collar and cybercrime matters, um, money laundering, asset forfeiture, tax fraud issues, and and, and cybercrime matters. And, and an opportunity came to um, uh, to move to Washington to work on cybercrime issues, and I, I became a, a, a cybercrime prosecutor at Maine Justice in in Washington D.C. And then was asked subsequently to to lead the, the money laundering section um, uh, first as the principal deputy chief, which is kind of like the chief operating officer where. I met Michael, um, and and then as the the chief of that section, and I and I think when I think of my journey in crypto, um, some of it started early on in that, you know, when I was at at the computer crime section, when I was at Main Justice um, working on cybercrime issues, we were just seeing the beginnings of Bitcoin, but there were precursors to Bitcoin. There were digital currencies. Um, you know, I was involved in, in 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 some sort of ancillary prosecutions of another currency called eGold. Um, uh, when I transition to to the ask for money laundering section we had a major case against Liberty Reserve um, we dealt with with Bitcoin issues through although we didn't have direct prosecutorial involvement in Silk Road we were involved in forfeiting the assets and helping kind of sell those assets into the marketplace for the, for the benefit of the government so there were there were various tentacles that we had and, and then on the policy and and intelligence side just trying to understand what this meant for the financial system um, and and I developed just somewhat of an interest, I think, in, in in these things, given my tech background, it brought two things together that I really was interested in. One is financial markets, the other is technology. Um, but then it sort of went into a lull. You know, I, I had an opportunity to go to the private sector and, and these those were more 
traditional compliance and risk management roles. And, and I think I thought I would see a lot more of the technical aspects than I actually did, partially because banks, I think, were perceiving the tectonic shift that was going on underneath them, but but weren't really responding to it. Um, they were responding to some aspects of, of it in terms of cloud computing and, and moving their servers to the cloud, um, dealing with AI algorithms and other ways of, of, of looking and managing risk, both credit risk and other types of risk. But cryptocurrencies were persona non grata, so they didn't really touch it. And 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 after about you know several years in the industry, I just started thinking to myself, you know, what is it that I want to do next? It was I wasn't really doing um, the things I I thought I was interested in, and so an opportunity came to be introduced to some some folks in the crypto space, and 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 I think I just got engaged with it. People talk about going into the rabbit hole, and I think I as I learned more about it, started engaging with it, it became clear to me that there was there's something here where at a very sort of embryonic stage of this industry, quite frankly, I think it's more akin to, um, you know, Netscape, uh, a pre-Netscape uh, internet than anything else, probably pre-Mosaic, for those who remember the original browsers. But there's something here around the collapsing of, 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 um, of value and information that we're just getting our hands around. And I realized I couldn't do it without diving in, you know, knee deep, understanding the technology specifically. Um, and I think the other thing that interested me was I, I, you know, I've, I've lived my life in the law enforcement world for a good portion of it, and in the Bank Secrecy Act. But it became apparent to me um, what some of the failings of the Bank Secrecy Act, particularly as you try to implement it within a, a large financial institution, and some of the promise of this technology, I saw as quite frankly being able to potentially invent a better mousetrap. And I hope we'll get into some of that in discussion here. There are some attributes of this technology that if you really think hard and work hard at it, I think can create potentially a better way of marrying concerns of financial privacy, um, uh, uh, financial um, uh, 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 transparency and integrity, and financial inclusion, which is something that we'll get into in a little while, I'm sure, but but that's important to, to our mission, which I think have always been um, three values that statutes like the Bank Secrecy Act try to reconcile, but given the tools we have today, they can oftentimes be attention. And so that was incredibly attractive to me. It's like we have a web 3.0 being created. Perhaps we can think of regulation 3.0 being created. And so I think it was those two things. Um, and, and I'm not embarrassed to say that I did did talk to Michael before I uh, he was, I think, not in the government at that time. He was uh, in, in the private sector to kind of get his take on on on, on kind of what this space was like, what were the opportunities and, and others. So um, uh, and and. And, you know, I, it's been a, a fascinating journey and I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just actually just going to say what, 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 what I have loved about these TRM talks is that for me, they really are conversations about crypto among friends. And I think you guys are both so accomplished and leaders in the crypto industry right now in the field. But I think most people don't realize I also have the chief and the, the, the former chief and uh, deputy chief of the money laundering section at DOJ who worked very closely together and really started to, I think, think about these issues you know, from their DOJ days, which is, is just so, so cool to me that this group has sort of grown together. Or you two have sort of grown together in these roles. Michael, obviously, you are sort of one of the most important regulators at FinCEN um, in the space. I would love to sort of hear about your uh, your journey to crypto as well. Yeah, thanks, Ari. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's somewhat similar to Jay's in, in terms of being a convergence of the the what was always sort of a creative interest in technology um, and, and, and then it's, it's that convergence with the same sort of drive 
to work against exploitation and sort of for personal sovereignty that got me into, into public service to begin with. And with that, as Jay said, crypto is sort of an inevitable draw when you think about the possibility of a technical solution to policy problems like that. Um, I started at a law firm in the technology practice group, actually, um, but then sort of quickly ended up on the path towards public service by doing a lot of pro bono work for victims of domestic violence. Um, and that was sort of the, the beginning of really diving into the sort of personal sovereignty issue uh, um, and not in a, in a privacy sense. I, I think it's important to factor in when we talk about, there's a lot of talk about personal sovereignty in the crypto space, rightly so. But I think keeping in mind that it's not just the privacy, it's also freedom from exploitation and violence. And, and that sort of piece of it quickly led me into full-time public service, including at, at Justice, working with Jay. Um, and, and part of that got also back to the technology piece where um, Jay was, was really supportive as we were trying to set up some analytics there. And, and the two initial projects that we proposed were um, using advanced analytics, looking at, at financial uh, crime that was supporting human trafficking um, and the kleptocracy unit uh, that was working with trying to get assets back from foreign corrupt rulers and get them back to the countries. Um, so that was sort of the, the next sort of level of these, these worlds converging. Um, and then after some time at the, at the NSC in the White House and, and then over at Treasury, um, doing more crypto work at FinCEN, sort of put it all together uh, and went to a, a young tech startup called Chainalysis um, as their first in-house lawyer and, and did some work there. And actually it was, uh, like you said, it was, it was great. Jay had, was over at Cello at the time and we got to brainstorm on all sorts of policy and reg issues. And, and actually it was a blast to get to be on the other side and helping other companies um, that were just getting started up deal with the Bank Secrecy Act like Jay was talking about in really practical terms. And so when Ken asked me to come back as deputy director of FinCEN, um, the, the part of it, the interest in that was bringing back that experience of like, here's what it's like in the real world as we try to apply these. And, and again, crypto, as Jay said, is sort of a real possible technical solution to a policy issue that of the sort of with the transparency, but also the privacy and, and really importantly, like Jay mentioned, the financial inclusion piece, um, which I think we're trying to, to thread that needle, as you said, in terms of having the integrity to it, but also really, really getting there on the inclusion piece. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think I had a front row seat when I was at Treasury to sort of, you know, the people who are really thinking about these issues thoughtfully, and you were certainly, you know, at the very top of the list of those people. Um, so yeah, no, it, and I, it, it's, it's amazing to hear these journeys. I think digging right into, I think, some of the issues that, uh, that Jay started to, um, to preview for us. Uh, look, Jay, you wrote really what has become a seminal piece now uh, on, the, on the issue of unhosted wallets. Um, and the title is just amazing, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Unhosted Wallets, which I think at some point I learned in writing that the title is, is everything, right? And it's, an, it's just an awesome title. But can you, can you walk through, folks through, I mean, there will be a few people on here who really don't understand sort of what a self-hosted or unhosted wallet is. If you sort of walk them through that piece and then maybe uh, through some of the questions and concerns that are really just um, so prominent right now in our industry. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, part of the motivation for the article um, was that um, I just wanted to take a step back and um, sort of think about the first principles that 
animated the regulatory side of the equation in the Bank Secrecy Act. Think about first principles that sort of underlie this technology and see how they married together. And it was really intended as a sort of thought piece. It wasn't intended to argue a particular position or another so much as to really just, um, in a sense, surface the issues and, and, and take a candid view at them and things that might work and that that m- might not work. And, and that was the intention of it. And I, and I won't try to rehash every um, element of it for folks who are interested in a more lengthy read. Um, uh, it is it is available at, at Coin Center um, for, for for folks who who have that interest. But but I think um, at the heart of it, um, the important thing about unhosted wallets is <clears throat> that um, it can mean a bunch of different things depending on what you're you're talking about. In the regulatory context, the way it's been used, and and, and I'm sure Finsen and Michael can, can can go into a little bit more, is that it it's typically refers to some mechanism to preserve a private encryption key that is at the heart of the way that digital ledger technologies and cryptocurrencies work. And historically, actually, at the early days of Bitcoin, it was a piece of paper where somebody preserved their private key and their public address, which is the thing that you gave to uh, the person who you wanted to send money to you. Um, uh, I think the industry advanced to a point where um, they were software functionalities or hardware functionalities where you could store it on a on on a hard drive or on your computer, and therefore you wouldn't lose it as you would a piece of paper. Um, and 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 what it really denotes, though, is something that allows you to effectively transact with another person on a blockchain without the use of a financial intermediary. And that's the crucial aspect of it: is that what blockchain technologies allow you to do is to send value between two people without going through a bank, without going through a PayPal, really just natively on the blockchain in a way that one would send an email um, uh, uh, to to another person. Um, The important thing about um, these technologies, and it's what I kind of wanted to to bring out uh, in, in the paper was, although they have really important financial implications, at the heart of it, digital ledger technologies and cryptocurrencies solve a computer science problem um, uh, that makes it a really broad class of, of, of cryptographic protocols that try to create a network where you don't need a central server or authority to mediate the truth of that network. And the way that most of our networks today are created, there are servers and they're owned by companies like a Google or like elsewhere, or if they're financial servers, they're owned by Bank of America or other um, uh, entity. And what this technology says is, instead of having a server that contains information, and that's the central source of truth, think of a system where that same information is stored on a, a broad set of computers. And anybody who wants to participate in this network can maintain this ledger. And the way we decide whether that information is accurate and has integrity or not is, um, and I'm gonna be, I'm sure the computer scientists in the room will be ripping their hair out, but um, uh, is is essentially to only validate the information that goes into this ledger when uh, there's a consensus reach with some majority of computers that are on the network. So when 60% or 50%, depending on what, what the algorithm is, determine that they've recorded the same information, that becomes the truth. And 
Um, what you have is a way of coordinating a disparate set of computers to maintain um, a ledger, and it's called a distributed ledger because each once that ledger is finalized, everybody keeps a copy of it, and that becomes the source of truth. The beauty of it is, is that it doesn't have a single point of failure, as we've seen. You know, when a network, when a server goes down, that can often compromise a network. It's hard to compromise these networks, and as they scale, as they become bigger, as more computers are are involved in them, they become even harder to compromise. And so, they offer solutions to a whole range of of, of issues, including things in cybersecurity and, and secure web browsing. There are implications here, and as I said, I think we're at the point in the industry where we're determining the plumbing, but use cases haven't yet really been developed on these. Um, uh, you know, we're trying to do so in Celo, there are others that are trying to do it, but but we're developing the plumbing for this new way of, of networking, essentially. And um, uh, uh, one of the implications of this is that when you transact with somebody else on chain, so within this network, you can send that, uh, um, uh, uh, um, some value to others on that network. Um, without the, any financial intermediary because, intermediary because it's a decentralized system. And the things that, that, that concern policymakers or, or others is that most of our financial regulations are focused on financial intermediaries. And so the way we regulate for financial crimes is saying, if you're a bank, you need to know who your customers are. And um, uh, if you see bad activity going on, you need to disclose that through various reporting and other mechanisms to the government. It's a core aspect of the Bank Secrecy Act. And when you move to a world where those financial intermediaries are no longer the gatekeepers, if you will, and individuals are transacting peer to peer, um, it raises concerns about, okay, what do you do in a disintermediated world when the regulatory regime is focused on um, having those financial intermediaries play a pretty important and crucial role in managing the risk of bad money flowing through the system. Um, so, so I know that's a long-winded way of answering no, it's, this. It, but, it's but, but, perfect because it's, it is really the perfect jumping off point, right? So, okay. So um, really what we're, the problem we're trying to solve is that there's, there needs to be accountability to some extent on the AML side with these peer-to-peer -peer, uh, transfers uh, without a financial intermediary. So in steps, uh, Treasury and FinCEN in particular, and in December, uh, they submitted a notice of proposed rulemaking that essentially, and Michael, you can dig into this a, a lot more, uh, essentially applied the BSA to crypto businesses that are dealing with unhosted wallets um, in, in a general sense. Um, if you can maybe sort of walk us through a little bit about the NPRM and maybe talk about where we are. Yeah, sure, Ari. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that was such a great lay down of it, of the situation by Jay. And I think it, it's to some degree, you're, you framed it exactly right. The idea is, um, you know, there was a concern that there's a gap here that you often hear cryptocurrency compared to cash with all the positive aspects of that in terms of privacy and, and potentially it, it often gets conflated as anonymity, but it's really pseudonymity, um, which to some degree is the technical genius of it that allows for the transparency and integrity. But there was a there's a perceived gap in in if it's like cash, then why why does the CTR the currency transaction reporting require, re requirement apply to cash um, and banks and money services businesses? But you have this gap with crypto. Um, so this was this was as it's laid out in the NPRM, and and it's worth the the read to see the risks behind it that drove it. But I think 
in a general sense, the idea was, okay, here's a proposed rulemaking. There's a gap here. Um, there's concern at the senior government level, including um, political leaders here, here and abroad. It's, it's a topic of discussion. And, and there's other countries that are already taking action in this, in this space that's um, farther than certainly what's even proposed in the rule. Um, so here's a proposal, um, and the the idea was that there was a very specific sort of CTR part about recording if your customer is sending money to an unhosted wallet, um, you know, tell us about that, um, which is what exists in the cash world already, the fiat world. And then there was another part of that that involved sort of finding, getting more information about the counterparty, and I think that drew sort of more attention along with the what was a, an expedited uh, comment period. So uh, to your question on the status, the comment period originally was 15 days, was extended for another 15, and then we just recently extended it for another 60 days. Um, and that's really a result of folks around the clock reading through the comments coming in and seeing it's clear we need more time on this. Um, there, there's administration change in the meantime, and I'm glad that we were able to sort of do the right thing, which is what is reflected in the comments, which is this is complicated and we want more time. So, you know, the the, the step forward now, and I should say, um, for the good of our chief counsel's office, these this is an open rulemaking, nothing's been uh, prejudged, and these are just my personal views, it's not a, an official agency view. Right. But, um, you know, what we're looking for in this extended period, um, and it's another 60 days, which is, which is a lot more time and, and probably undercutting coin centers fundraising model. I'm going to get some, some angry calls from Jerry and Peter, but, um, but you know, it really was that this, this deserved more time and more comment. Um, and, and we're doing a lot of engagement in that period and welcoming comments. And I think if it's helpful, you know, some of the things that would be really helpful for us to hear back on, given the foundation we already have in the initial comments, a lot of them were focused on process and the counterparty issue is, you know, it's a proposed rulemaking that has multiple components. So it would be really helpful to hear talk about the components. You know, it's a proposal. It's not an all or nothing. Um, you know, tell us about what what works. Um, we've heard some feedback that actually, well, the CTR part alone makes a lot of sense. Um, but tell us about that. You know, tell us about in a technical, practical sense, not just conceptual. What is it that's cash like that that this makes sense, and what is it? You know, crypto in many ways is cash-like, um, but in other ways it's not. You know, the the volume and velocity that it moves is is much more substantial than cash. Um, you know, we've we've done we've all we, all of us are prosecutors. You've done cases involving probably bulk cash, and you see what it's like for a Mexican cartel to move truckloads of it uh, undetected. It's really hard. This is massive amounts at a, at a high velocity. So it's not just cash, but as people pointed out in comments, there's also a lot more transparency and traceability. So, you know, tell us about the distinctions uh, in technical terms. Uh, you know, there was the, more of that sort of feedback, including even the definition of wallets that Jay was talking about. You know, there's public keys, there's accounts, there's wallets, um, you know, addresses, <laughs> there's all these different things. So, you know, we propose a definition, tell us about it in, 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 in more practical technical terms. And I think in the same way, tell us about okay, here's the proposal. What would it be like for any component of this if I had to actually do it? Um, in, in the first extension, we put in field ideas of what would be in this report that you'd file, uh, acknowledging that it is a bit different than cash. But um, now that we're sort of past the, the process questions and the concepts, you know, dig into it. Like, okay, well, how does this work? 
aggregation on a 24 hour period, it's different than a bank that's nine to five and closes. So, you know, what, what is it that's, that's different if I had to actually do this? Are the fields the right fields? And I think in all of that, keeping in mind that there's a risk that's laid out in the NPRM that we're trying to address and, and tell us if, hey, you're overshooting on this, um, but here, actually, if you put a different field information, you'd get at the risk in a better way that's more efficient and more effective with less burden. You know, that sort of really practical feedback is really, is really helpful. Um, and, and, and I just close that to say, you know, there's, there's been a risk addressed and there are other countries already moving in this space, which I noted, um, some farther than this. So I think this is our chance to get it right and take a leadership position um, and show people including at the state level that are looking into this, you know, New York is, um, and other countries of sort of, this is the balance. Let's, let's do it right. And sort of set the tone. Yeah, no, I, I, all just great points. And it, it's so interesting. I think some of the inside baseball is sort of, we, we, we started thinking about, um, doing this TRM talks, you know, quite a, a while ago, and I'm not sure there are many regulatory issues that are moving this quickly. And we're constantly, we've constantly been changing sort of the topic areas because obviously, you know, I think probably the thing that roiled the crypto industry the most, and I can't speak for every, anyone was the process. And I feel like we've now sort of gotten through that where we can really talk about the substance, which, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you just got into, which I think is really the critical part and real, where we really all wanted to be. And I think the digital chamber and the blockchain association coin center and others played a, a really huge role in this is we just wanted to get to a point where we're talking substance and it's, it's kind of great. It's great to be there. Um, I mean, Jay, along those lines, cause I don't think I can ask this of, of Michael, uh, how's this thing going to play itself out? I, I think Michael's last point was, all right, so, uh, we need to thread the needle obviously between the privacy concerns and the, and the burden to the industry, with, uh, you know, I think you and I, I think we're all com compliance oriented people. People believe that AML is foundational for crypto. How, how, how does this whole thing play itself out? Look, I think it's a, it's a good, good question. And I, and I can't get into the heads of, of global regulators um, to know kind of where things will go. I, I guess, um, again, sort of backing onto first principles, I, I, what I can describe is where I think a fruitful um, way of addressing this que these questions would be. Um, so so from from the perspective of of where I sit, I think that you have a system that's focused on um, the collection of certain valuable information by financial intermediaries. And that's historically been the focus of the Bank Secrecy Act. and and in earlier guidance, FinCEN, I think um, very validly extended those requirements to, crypto exchanges as well as fiat crypto exchanges. And, and it makes sense where you have a traditional financial relationship, the nature of the instrument shouldn't make sense. And so um, uh, uh, that that makes sense. And, and, and I would say that we're already seeing aggressive moves in, in, in the FATF in terms of um, ensuring jurisdictional compliance with this. We're seeing um, aggressive moves, I think, with regulators making sure that those intermediaries um, or, or even those who may not reveal themselves to be intermediaries, but how are actual intermediaries are following the rules. And I think to me, that's that's sort of step number one. And the reason that's important is, is that I think that even today um, to make um, you know on-chain transfers are, while they can be an important money laundering mechanism and even a sanctions violation mechanism, um, are not sufficient to sort of circumvent controls. And typically what you'll see is 
um, movement between different blockchains or um, ultimately to fiat currency because you need um, fiat currency to do things in the real world. Even criminals run businesses. You know, we used to say this, uh, I think, in, in the money laundering section that you got to think of these organizations as businesses. They're illegitimate businesses, but they run with the same um, principles. And so um, at some point in the value chain, they um, they need to get cash, fiat currency, because that is legal tender and that is uh, the unit of count in, in all countries around the globe. There, there are corner cases here, um, you know, dark markets, um, situations where the currency has has imploded, as in, in Venezuela or potentially in Argentina, where, where you can see crypto taking a more central role. But for the most part, that's not the case. And so um, point number one is to say, look, that is the biggest risk net right now. So focus there. On the unhosted wallet bits, what I would say is um, it is not clear to me that the principles that have been developed in the Bank Secrecy Act and implemented in the Bank Secrecy Act map very well onto a world in which um, uh, we're in which interactions, um, financial interactions are governed not by physical institutions, but by algorithms and where um, they permit peer-to-peer transactions through algorithms. We're not there yet in terms of where we are, but you know, Brian Brooks, the former controller of currency, had this wonderful article called, you know, get ready for self-driving banks, which I, I thought was was neat, just in mapping out what the future world could look like in its potential. And, and, and I think that as I think of what a future regulation was, I, I would say get the Bank Secrecy Act right with respect to financial intermediaries. And when it comes to the decentralized finance space, you almost have to rip the building back to the studs and, and think about what would a Bank Secrecy Act that wanted to preserve those same principles look like in a DeFi space and it'll look a lot more like internet regulation, quite frankly. And, and I think the things that you can use in this space are digital identity will become a critical um, element. So how do we think about digital identity? You're seeing countries like South Korea, like others, starting to focus on this aspect of it. So what is digital identity? And what are the privacy features that prevent it from being abused by fraudsters and hackers and state actors? That'll be one component of it. Um, and, and, and the second component will be around, um, uh, you know, we think of kind of the privacy enhancing features of, of some of the cryptos out there as bad from a transparency perspective. But when you live in a world where transparency is the norm, which is what happens on the Internet, quite frankly, as opposed to the physical world where opacity is the norm, a different set of risks and calculations occur where we're going to have to think very carefully about what the construction of that of that world looks like um, and, and differential privacy. So maybe for um, transactions above a certain limit, there are sort of, you know, transparency measures built in below a certain limit. You have full privacy building in risk assessments through smart contracts on the blockchain itself is another way of approaching this. But there are ways that you can, if if we think properly about this, you can actually start to use the technology to mitigate the risks that are inherent in the technology. And that will morph into the discussions we're having around the internet and how we should think about risks on, on the internet. And, and I would encourage um, regulators to think in this new world to say, look, we have an embryonic issue here where there are emerging risks, and this is the time to get that right. Um, and let's have those conversations. And, and um, you know, one-off conversations are helpful, but, you know, establishing the equivalent of like 
the Bank Secrecy Act working group that exists and meets quarter after quarter, where there are um, uh, working groups where people are trying to solve actual problems. That working group led, I think, to the um, to the wonderful uh, 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 new AML revisions that have have occurred. I think it's going to take something of that substance and of that depth to solve these problems because I don't think they're easy problems, but I think that they're that they're solvable. The last thing I'll say is we should also recognize that we're creating a context, not just for private digital currencies, which is where we are because the private sector has moved ahead, but what we build here will be the grounds for whatever the digital dollar looks like in the future. Um, uh, it'll take us some time to get there because there are complicated things, but it's coming on some level. And, and I think getting those principles right in upfront will help us with that conversation. Um, so, so I can't tell you that I've got a solution today, but I would bifurcate it in this way and say, look, um, think of the traditional intermediated world and let's figure out the unique attributes and risks of this technology and solve them potentially using those unique attributes and, and, and features. And so that would be my, um, the way that I would, I would think about approaching it. Yeah, no, that was amazing. I mean, I think so much of what we've been doing, obviously, is reacting to the NPRM and sort of other very specific, uh, you know, uh, legislation or regulation, but really it's a much more, the much more important conversation is I think the one that you just kicked off. And that's how do we think about, you know, a BSA for crypto, like in a meaningful way, something that we real, that, that really works and is, is built for a, you know, a open ledger, as opposed to kind of what we've had, um, what we've had in the past, which is sort of a more siloed, siloed system. Um, Michael, I mean, sort of using that as a jumping off point, and there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, we might do TRM talks, the future of regulation with you guys, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, uh, but be uh, yeah, <laughs> because that's, I mean, to me, those are the much more interesting sort of big picture questions, right? But I mean, what, what could be the most helpful now to your teams at FinCEN in terms of, you know, the industry kind of weighing in with, with, you know, the, in, thoughtful comments, I think, like Jay was sort of just getting at in terms of, um, you know, working groups and other sorts of things that can be put together to address a lot of these issues that, quite frankly, you know, Unhosted Wallace is just a jumping off point for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think yeah, a lot of what Jay described and what you're talking about, Ari, is, is exactly what we're looking for, which is, you know, part of what we've learned from this event is like we want to, we want to, on the one hand, take a monitoring approach before we jump into rewriting something that over overdoes it. Um, and I think if you look back historically, that was the approach we took with prepaid cards even, um, you know, before we started writing rules, let's let's watch it, see what's happening, understand the technology. Here, the, the technology is exponentially more complex, but also in a really good way, it's exponentially more malleable to do some really, really impressive stuff that's going to be that's way beyond you know there's a there's a measure of privacy and transparency at the same time that's just phenomenal so i think what what we'd love to do is find a way to sort of keep the channels open which and we're doing a lot of engagement um but it's also like jay said like we want to move to the to the concrete you know like i think the the nprm is a great um microcosm to have the conversation of okay here's this really promising technology in many ways in many positive ways of privacy, it's like cash, um, but it's also much more efficient and the volume and velocity is, is exponentially greater. So how do we take the best pieces of both and make this into something that mitigates the risks that people are identifying? And so I think that's the kind of sort of 
place that we want to be in the in this extended period is like okay let's talk practically how is it like it how is it not like it um what do we what do we how do we incrementally move this forward and that's the other piece of it is that you know there are concrete risks that have been identified and 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 actually if you just go back to the January 6th the the capital attack you know the the news reports that there was about $500,000 worth of crypto involved in that not necessarily unhosted wallets but you know that's the kind of low probability high impact event that can cause lawmakers or or others to overreact in terms of in terms of rules and regulations and so we want really want to be ahead of that and that means we're making concrete progress here we're we're not just sort of it's not just comment bubbles we're editing text you know uh, and moving things forward um, and so i think that's where we want to be um, is is just getting into like how do we how do we balance this sort of um, it's not just compliance it's 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 not even financial integrity it's like a human integrity issue of of like how do we make the most of this this technology that could massively create efficiencies that allow us to to really do financial inclusion you know there's been talk about financial inclusion for years when you look at what's possible in the sort of the peer to peer space i mean you can even look at the at the lending rates uh, and the and the yield farming to see returns versus your your negative 0.4% <laughs> at your bank um, and that's a lot of that's efficiencies and 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 what Jay's working on at Celo, you know, but we have to get to a point where we're also mitigating the risks that have been identified so that we don't have these sort of low probability, high impact events that sort of undercut the whole purpose of it. And so, yeah, I, I'm very much with Jay. Like we, we want to be keeping that technical conversation going and progressing it so that we're, we're getting the, like really seeing where it has so much more to offer than the fiat world. And, and how do we do that in a way that's, it's not just sort of, okay, nothing, just let it all go. Um, Cause sort of anarcho capitalism works until your assets are the ones that get taken. Um, so I think we want to, we want to have it not just sort of a capabilities battle, but like a thoughtful discussion that makes the most of this. Yeah, no, for sure. I, you know, I, it, it, like I'm kicking myself right now. I could just have Jay for like a couple hours on financial inclusion, but like I, we, we'll, we'll get him back for that. Um, I, I do have to let you guys go, but let me uh, finish with sort of one question, busting out the crystal ball, maybe a little bit and moving away from unhosted wallets. Uh, Cause there are going to be issues sort of down the road. I know Michael, it strikes me, you guys must be dealing with domestic terrorism and sort of right-wing extremism related issues. Um, uh, central bank digital currencies. I mean, what what can we expect over the course of the next, you know, year or so are going to be kind of the next big issues in in crypto? Jay, happy to uh, you know start throw that one to you to start. Look, I think that that what we're going to be be seeing is um, a rise of of algorithms, right? With, which have um, both good and bad things. I think this goes back to. To Mark Andreessen's comment some time ago that software is eating the world, we're seeing that play through the financial system, right? It's 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 hit information technology, it's hit social networks, it's hit uh, uh, news gathering, and it's now making its way into, um, in a sense, fi financial services. And so I think that that's only going to continue. And and to me, the real question is, and this is probably something that I think regulators are are thinking about. The model of what a regulator looks like is going to change, which is it's going to be somebody who's very versatile and facile with, with algorithms, with code, knows how to audit code and understand code. 
Um, uh, uh, and I saw this at Capital One too, where uh, you know where models were moving to AI models. Traditional model validation had challenges, and you were looking at people who needed to have a facility with with newer sort of ways of thinking. So I think that that's going don't, to happen. Don't that's forget what, using uh, blockchain intelligence like TRM Labs. Maybe all right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I, we're we're not <laughs> denominational, so I, <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. a key a key component of of of, of kind of the the larger thing. And so I think that's going to be. Um, it, it, uh, something we're going to see more of is sort of this migration and 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 creation. And as I said, I don't think it's going to displace the economy anytime soon. But big things small start small, and I, I think you're going to start seeing more of the use cases um, that that will, will make this happen. We're starting to see this on you know in some of the financial inclusion use cases where we're actually having pilots that are showing the real impact and value with um, you know women-owned businesses in the Philippines who. Uh, who, who who were able to get COVID relief much more quickly. Uh, uh, it, there are things that can be done here, and I think we're going to see more of that. Um, uh, I think as as time goes on, and and it'll be important to to recognize that when it happens, that there is real uses. You know, it's not just the plumbing that we're talking about now, but what's going to be built on top of the plumbing. And I think in this next year, we'll start seeing some of that. You know, ironically, I think Michael might be the personification of like the regulator you just described, right? Super tech savvy, <laughs> sort of interested in solving problems through technology. Um, yeah, Michael, what do you think are sort of uh, some of these issues that are sort of most out, you know, in your radar, on your radar? Yeah, no, I, I think I think Jay Jay nailed it to a large degree. It's going to be, and like you said, it's going to be the year of the nerd. Um, it's coming around for me, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, I've got my Raspberry Pi. I've been I've been digging in. Uh, truly, um, it, it's true. It's very much like Jay described. You know, I, I actually have a weekly meeting right these, these days now, every week, um, with some with some folks that are much much more tech savvy than me. But it's it's all focused on. Okay, what what is the latest technology that we need to make sure we understand? What about our own capabilities? Um, we literally spent this morning talking about homomorphic encryption, and you know what can be done. And I think in that space, you know, because we we look at it from multiple angles. Like one, we have a database, and we've just been tasked with the beneficial ownership. Um, but but then it's also what else is out there that's happening in the encryption world. And I think to a large degree, the year ahead will be understanding those those greater technical capabilities out there, the, the, the ability to do encryption and do potentially do computational um, work through homomorphic encryption and zero knowledge that's going to allow risk activity to be identified potentially um, in the activity itself and, and computations done that, that preserve privacy entirely is a huge step forward um, that, that is, again, in this realm of technical solutions to policy issues. And, and to some degree, that combined with the algorithms that Jay's talking about, you know, we're, we're constantly looking at machine learning and AI solutions, um, understanding what's possible, but also the integrity of those. Um, and, but, but as that continues to increase, you have an ability to, I think, for everybody, sort of add to the financial inclusion piece because you have better pinpointing of actual threats. So there's less sort of blunt de-risking going on. Um, which is where we want to be and we want industry to be. And that's a piece we're doing a lot. And so I think it's going to be a lot of technical discussions that are, you know, we, we often tell people now, please don't just send your lawyers, please send your engineers. Um, you know, I want to, we want to talk about what's really, what's really possible. Um, so I, I think the year ahead is going to be, is going to be very technical in that sense. 
and trying to keep coming up with these, these technical solutions to policy problems, whether it's through digital identity and also sort of the, the encryption advances. Thank you guys so much. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Honestly, I'm, I'm so grateful for you guys uh, joining me. It was so much fun and honest, like the biggest issue with, to me, the, the two of the, the greatest voices right now on it, it's just been, been amazing. So, so thank you for joining TRM Talks. Great. Thank you, Ari. Thanks, Ari. Really Thanks, appreciate Ari. it. TRM Talks is brought to you by TRM Labs, the leading provider of cryptocurrency fraud detection and anti-money laundering software. Looking forward to another terrific discussion next month with movers and shakers from the world of cryptocurrency. Until then, thank you to all of you who work so hard every day to keep us safe.